Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Lee Smith to talk about the Barack Obama foreign policy legacy. But firstly, I want to give a quick shout out to Audible for sponsoring today's podcast. Remember, go to audible.com slash weekly standard, get a free audiobook with your 30-day free trial and support this podcast. Now, Lee, what inspires this conversation is watching yeah. President Obama take all these victory laps. It's like the farewell tour that lasts longer than the band was originally together. And then John Kerry writing a piece, What We Got Right, where he brags about, I'm not making this up, the assertive foreign policy of the Obama administration. Yeah. You've written for the past eight years about what's been happening in the world. Yes. I'm, what I, kind I, of grade I'm, would you give? First of all, it's always it's always a pleasure to be with you, Michael, and here we are again. And this is, of course, the last time we're going to do this <clears throat> during the Obama presidency. Uh, Obama presidency. So I, I think that we should be thankful for small things. And there's actually quite a big thing because, in a sense, the long national nightmare is over. Barack Obama's leaving the White House and not being entirely facetious. I think it's been an incredibly destructive time. It's an incredibly destructive White House. The foreign policy has been destructive not only uh, not only of uh, it's been damaging not only to American political structures and our security pillars around the world, which has been which which has been around for more than seventy years since World War II, but it's also damaged allies. It's damaged human beings. So, well, let, really, let's start right goodness. there because there are plenty of people who are going to say, "Oh, this is just conservatives. They hate him just because he's you know not a conservative." Right. Give me some specifics of things that you would say to a. Uh, to a, to a, an Obama-friendly audience. Look, even if you like the president, you have to admit yeah, the, these the, were mistakes. Look, the president himself, the president himself, has spoken quite openly about attacking what is the bipartisan foreign policy consensus. It's not about right or left. When Barack Obama was telling uh, Jeffrey Goldberg at the Atlantic when he was talking about the Washington Playbook. Right. He was talking about a 70 year old bipartisan consensus when he tore it up. Right. He was going after not just Republicans, but Democrats. Everyone in that cabinet, aside from uh, Dennis McDonough, everyone else on that cabinet from Secretary Clinton to eventually Secretary Kerry, Secretary Gates, Secretary Panetta, CIA Director Petraeus, uh, the then chairman of the uh, Joint Chiefs, General Martin Dempsey. Everyone agreed that the White House should back Syrian rebels, at the very least, as Kerry said, to get a better negotiating position. Some argued to take him down. Everyone argued on that in his White House, on his team, right? He said no. Why? Because he wanted to preserve the Iran deal. So that's the first thing I would say. It's It's not a partisan issue. This is very bipartisan. There have been problems. Again, the most important thing is this bipartisan foreign policy uh, consensus, the American security architecture, not just in the Middle East, but also in Europe. Look at what's happened with Syria, right? What has happened with Syria is an enormous refugee crisis, and they've put them uh, in a NATO member, Turkey. There are now three millions in a NATO member, Turkey, which is causing problems for Turkey. Not as not only is it causing problems for Turkey, but many of these refugees have left Turkey and made their way to Europe, where it's destabilizing a major American 
uh, major American ally and major American trading partner. This is what World War II was about. It was about keeping Europe stable. And now Europe is politically unstable. So that's what I mean about a bipartisan consensus. This has been going on since World War II. And Barack Obama, for, for theoretical reasons and reasons of vanity and arrogance, decided to dismantle this security architecture. How much, how much is it capable to restore with the next White House? That's up in the air. And Lee Smith, while you've got us up in the air, I just want to take a quick second to thank Audible for sponsoring this podcast. I am a huge Audible fan. I love listening to their books, whether I'm listening during my workout in the morning on the elliptical or whether it's on a road trip or on my commute into work. I love filling that time with not just words, but with literature. You know, a lot of people think of Audible and they think of like listening to spy novels or their kids listening to Harry Potter. But I just listened to Scoop by the great Evelyn Waugh on Audible. And it's one of the books that you can get for free with your 30-day free trial membership at Audible. It's so easy. You just go to audible.com slash weekly standard. Browse their amazing selection of audio content. Download a title for free and start listening. It is that easy. Get a free audio book with a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash weekly standard. Now, Lee, I want to ask you about another area, which is Israel and the argument made by the Obama White House that they're doing Israel a favor, that Israel's gotten, you know, kind of too arrogant. It's it should be, you know, coming more hat in hand to its Arab neighbors and saying, how can we make a deal? Uh, It shouldn't uh, believe that there's any uh, winning proposition other than I mean, going not, back to the 19, yeah. you know, pre-1967 no, borders. Not, uh, is that a legitimate th- argument no, that they're making? No, the, the whole thing is just childish. First of all, it imagines that, look, it, 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 it's a liberal democracy like the United States. The Israelis vote for their leaders, right? What happened? So do we say that when Barack Obama won elections, he's that the American people just went crazy? I know people want to believe that about Donald Trump, but that's not <laughs> what happens, right? People have real reasons for voting the way they do and for making certain things happen. <clears throat> and that's what's going on right now in Israel, right? The Israelis want very much to have peace. The idea somehow that peace is going to be made with some fictional entity that doesn't exist strikes them as absolutely bizarre, Right. If you read an article not in uh, last week, or I think it was the week before, issued by Ruel Mark Garrett, Ruel writes an article about Israel and the Palestinians, and it starts off with a very interesting anecdote talking about how the Palestinians themselves, the Palestinian Authority, realizes they would not be able to, if, this, if the IDF was uh, to leave the West Bank, the PA would barely make it, maybe would be able to survive two months with that IDF help. So no, again, the Obamacare, the Obamacare obsession with the Israeli-Palestinian thing is nonsense. But here's the other thing. It's not just nonsense. It's immoral and disgusting. And I believe, actually, it's not just them. I believe anyone I hear, whether, I th- whether they're Republican, whether they're Democrat, whether they're American or whether they're foreign, anyone at this point who is obsessed with the Israel-Palestine crisis is obscene. There have been half a million people who have been killed in Syria. Half a million. Over the last less than six years, half a million people. There have been less than one-tenth of that killed in 70 years of the Arab-Israeli crisis. So the idea that this is the most important thing to solve in the region 
It's it's just obscene. So, again, this is one of the things that I do believe is going away with this administration. It will at least no longer be embodied um, by the key principles in the administration. I certainly hope. Now, one last question for you. So where do you if, – if Donald Trump called you and said, okay, which way should I go from here? There, as you just pointed out, right. there's – Israel, Palestinians. There's Syria. There's Russia. There's China. I mean, there's a, there are a million Venezuela collapsing into a third world country. If if he were going to give you one slot and say, tell me where I can go to do the most good, advance American values, and help turn things Iran. around, where would you send him? Iran, Iran definitely. Iran, yeah. Look at what the Iranians are doing across the region. Um, <clears throat> stop them from doing what they are doing. Impose non-nuclear sanctions. Uh, enforce the Iran deal. Do not renegotiate it. I'm very much against this idea of renegotiating it because I do not want the United States again getting tied up with this um, with this bunch of cretins in negotiations and wind up sweetening the pot to keep them in negotiations. No, I want them sanctioned. I want non-nuclear sanctions. I want the deal such as, as it is enforced very heavily. And I want the United States and our allies to push back very heavily against Iran wherever they're operating, whether this is in the Middle East, whether this is Latin America, um, whether it's the Persian Gulf, the Eastern Mediterranean, Push back on Iran. I think that's an enormous issue. And some of the other issues that are tangled up in this, whether it's Syria, whether it's our concern about the Russians, at a certain point, we're going to have to figure out as the president-elect tomorrow, the president, uh, mm-hmm. the president, uh, the, re- the president, um, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's talked a little bit about Russia. We need to have a little better sense of what the um, Trump White House's relations with Russia will be. And I think that pushing on the Iranians will give us a pretty clear picture pretty quickly of what that's going to look like. Lee Smith, always love talking to you about America, foreign policy, and having you on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Michael Graham. Yeah, the